Riots have fled across European cities as millions have vented their anger over austerity measures and the Eurozone crisis drags into its fourth year. Since early 2010, the crisis has cast a dark shadow, not just over Europe, but over the world economy, including New Zealand. This Radio New Zealand Insight programme asks what Europe's plan is for getting itself out of this mess and how confident should the international community be there isn't worse to come. In July, the head of the European Central Bank, Mario Draghi, stated he would do whatever it took to keep the 17-member Eurozone together. Riots on the streets of the European capitals of Athens and Madrid are still fresh in the memory, but the financial markets have been places of relative calm for the most beleaguered members of the Euro since Mr Draghi's bold comments. A Brussels-based economist, Yanis Emanolidis, believes the chances of the euro falling apart are receding. What's the cost of not having a compromise and not getting their act together? The cost of that is the fear of the common currency getting even more under pressure, maybe even a euro implosion, and the European project being, being risked in total. Is that in the interest of anyone? It's not in the interest of anyone. A Greek economics journalist based in Brussels, Nikos Chrysalaros, says the risks of the single currency crumbling are still high. No society can withstand 25% unemployment for long. So if we do not direct public investment in Greece, then unemployment will continue to rise and it will happen what, exactly what happened in the Weimar Republic just before the, the Second World War. I'm Nigel Sterling and in this insight I travel to Europe to talk to those hardest hit by the crisis and to ask what is the plan for the future. On a Sunday afternoon at Madrid's Plaza de Torres, Spaniards are enjoying the final bullfight of the season. This man, an engineer in his 50s, says the crisis is not far from the thoughts of most. The actual situation affects very, very much to the families with two or three members of the family without job. Mainly young people. Spain's unemployment rate is nearly 26%, and for the under-25s, more than double that. The engineer says there are jobs for Spaniards in his profession just not in Spain. It's very difficult to find a job. If you have some job associated with the engineering, technical positions, engineering, then the access to, the jo- to a job is easier. But not because of, of the jobs are in a, within Spain, no. Because these companies have jobs outside Spain. In Greece, the economy has contracted by a fifth since the crisis broke. Nikos Krisalaros, a journalist for Greece's biggest daily newspaper, Katamarini, says his country is at breaking point. It's the greatest recession in Greece's modern history. The stock market has plummeted by 90% in comparison to its peak. House prices have also plummeted by 20 to 50 percent, depending on the region of Greece. Unemployment is at 25 percent. The youth unemployment is at 55 percent. Virtually whoever loses his or her job nowadays in Greece has no prospect of finding another one in the immediate future. An extension of the economic and political integration of Europe started in the wake of the Second World War. The euro came out of the Maastricht Treaty of 1991. 
The rules were set early on. For countries to join, budget deficits were to be kept at or close to 3% of national income and government debt at or declining to 60%. The rules were routinely broken. Others many economists consider should have been in a currency union, such as a single market for workers, were never on the agenda. Yanis Emanuelidis from the European Policy Centre in Brussels says Europe's leaders pushed on regardless. It was envisaged that there would be an economic convergence, so that the countries in the periphery would have a competitive advantage, they would be cheaper, labour would be cheaper, uh, which would mean that investment would go there, and that investment would foster the economic development of these countries, thus uh, closing the gap between those who are the strongest and those who are the weakest. Um, so there was this feeling that there, there would be a catching-up process and that these countries would become stronger and eventually you would have a stronger economic convergence. What actually happened was an increasing divergence, increasing labour costs in peripheral countries. The former British Chancellor of the Exchequer, Nigel Lawson, likened the Euro's first decade to the Soviet Union putting a man into space, successful but not necessarily sustainable. With a single currency came an evening up of interest rates between Euro countries as savings from the export powerhouse of Germany flowed to eager borrowers in Greece, Ireland, Spain and Portugal. Journalist Nikos Chrysalaros says in Greece what resulted was an artificial economy. Greece enjoyed hefty growth rates for 15 years in a row, twice the EU average. And um, it was catching up with uh, Germany and Belgium and uh, uh, all the other countries of the core of the Eurozone pretty quickly. But this growth model was based on cheap credit. There was blood on the floor at the end of trading on Wall Street today. A financial tsunami. Nightmare on Wall Street. The atomic bomb. Almost Armageddon. A nine on the Richter scale. The music stopped on the 15th of September 2008 when the American investment bank Lehman Brothers filed for bankruptcy. Nikos Chrysalaros again. Immediately after uh, uh, Lehman Brothers went bust, uh, the Greek economy fell into recession, well before the country signed a memorandum of understanding with its emergency lenders. So Greece is in a recession since the last quarter of 2008. Why? Because the bankruptcy of Lehman Brothers meant that the Greek banks were denied access to cheap, cheap credit. So they could not fuel this credit-based growth model. And this was not simply, this model was not sustainable any longer. After gorging on cheap credit for a decade, the economies on Europe's edge have gone on a crash diet of austerity. The shock to the Spanish economy from the collapse of its construction industry following the global credit crunch of 2008 has been made worse by severe government cutbacks as it wrestles with rising debt. Its deficit increasingly looks out of control and it may yet be forced into following Greece, Ireland and Portugal in asking for a bailout. The Spanish student isn't confident of his future. I used to work as a lifeguard. And now? I don't do anything now, I study. I went back to study. You went back to study because you couldn't find a job? Yeah, well, the thing is, if you leave the studies, I left the studies when I was young. So I left my college there. Um, you don't get any work if you don't get any licence or any studies, you know. 
And what are you studying? I'm doing my, finishing my A-levels. And are you confident that there will be a job for you in Spain when you finish? Not really. My idea is going away from Spain. Yeah, getting a side to another country because the things are going worse. It's been, every year it's going worse and worse and worse. You know, you get less people working. You get less jobs. Portugal submitted to a programme of austerity measures in return for 78 billion euros in bailout money from Europe and the International Monetary Fund just last year. The bailout gave Portugal three years to get its deficit down to the point at which it could borrow again on financial markets in 2013. Just last month, the government hiked taxes in the second deficit-busting package in as many years. But a journalist for Portuguese television, João Caramano, says austerity is crunching the economy and making the crisis worse. You see the reality of Portugal. And you see, well, a lot of taxes. What do you do? We don't have money. We don't go out to buy anything. So if you don't go, to buy, to go out to buy anything, you can get your taxes. Because people are not spending. That's the big problem. We have a, an expression for that in Portuguese, which is called pescadinha de rabo na boca, which is something like, like a fish or like a dog. When a dog eats her own tail, you know, you, have, you go around, around, around. There is no way out. João Caramano says faced with the biggest recession since the 1970s, people are fleeing Portugal. To England, for instance. Um, there are lots of people come to British islands like Jersey. People are trying to go to Angola because they speak Portuguese. Angola? Some, Angola, yes. Well, what do they do there? Uh, we don't know, but they are trying to do. Angola, it's, it's a very, very good country to invest in, in, in this moment. Two months ago, Brussels gave Portugal an extra year to achieve its deficit target. Simon O'Connor speaks for the European Commissioner for Economic and Monetary Affairs, Oli Rain, Europe's top economic official. If it looks like the nominal targets might not be met, but the structural effort has been made, then an argument can be made to extend by a year, usually, the fiscal adjustment path. And that's something that's been done this year for Spain and for Portugal, where the governments have made significant efforts to get their public finances back on track, but because of a deterioration in the external economic environment, it's not been possible to, to hit the deficit target as initially agreed. In the past month, the International Monetary Fund, a past bastion of conservative economic thinking and Europe's partner in the bailouts, has begun to question the effectiveness of austerity in the bailout countries. In a report, it said austerity is having a worse effect on growth in countries like Spain, Ireland and Portugal than first thought. But Simon O'Connor says if countries don't show commitment to getting their deficits down, they risk having their economies crunched anyway. The alternative, a relaxation of uh, that sort of fiscal consolidation and you know, sending a message to the markets that the country is no longer taking this matter as seriously, would be likely to have on pushing up spreads, on pushing up uh, risk uh, premia for, for Spanish debt and the sort of effects that that could have on um, so, so this would push, up, confidence. push up interest rates that those markets might, those countries might have to pay and that itself would mean those governments have less to spend because they're having to pay higher interest rates to service their debt and that would have a, a contractionary effect on their economies. Um, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Anyway. So there are a number of factors that need to be taken into account when trying to forecast effective fiscal consolidation and the interplay between fiscal consolidation and, and growth. But the financial markets are still wary. Spain's 2013 budget in late September revealed 40 billion euros in spending cuts and tax increases. 
Yet a week later, it had its credit rating cut by Standard & Poor's to just above junk status. Alexandro Alexander at the European Economic and Social Committee, an advisory body to Europe's leaders, says it's not just a question of balanced budgets for individual countries. He says Spain's lowered creditworthiness in the eyes of ratings agencies and investors is as much a judgment on its chances of staying in the euro. The big increase in uh, interest rates, which has often not been justified by economic reasons, has been caused exactly by speculation on financial markets. And why this speculation comes? Because they believe that there will be no suitable uh, backstop for countries and banks which are in uh, difficult positions. The head of the European Commission, Jose Manuel Barroso, two years ago launched the European Financial Stability Fund. The 750 billion euro rescue fund was to be the first line of defence against a breakup of the single currency. Any attempt to weaken the stability of the euro will fail. It shows the determination of the whole of the European Union to stand behind any of its member states. The Commission's Simon O'Connor says these funds have been crucial to getting Europe's most troubled countries back on track. So the European Financial Stability Facility, which was a a three-year temporary mechanism set up in uh, 2010, and the new permanent European Stability Mechanism, which has just got underway and will be the largest international financial institution in the world in terms of its capital, is to provide Eurozone countries which are... um, Uh, either excluded from the markets, which find themselves frozen out of the markets, or which are under extreme market pressure, to give them the breathing space, if you will, the the time to continue with the fiscal consolidation and the uh, structural reforms to boost competitiveness, to enhance growth potential and job creation that they need to to be able to ultimately restore confidence amongst investors. Simon O'Connor says the bailout countries are following plans laid down by Europe and the International Monetary Fund to restore their economies. In Portugal and Greece, issues like labour market reform have been very central. Issues like opening up product markets, liberalising services and professional services to increase competition and push down prices for consumers. Various different structural reforms to seek to boost, as I say, the growth potential of these economies and and enable them to be able to stand on their own two feet again. But Brussels' liberalising agenda has set alarm bells ringing for workers. Gert van Hayes belongs to the European Transport Federation and joined protesters on the streets of Brussels. Today is a protest meeting from the European Transport Federation against low wages for drivers coming from Eastern Europe on our Western European roads. So it's a question of solidarity between Europe, but we can see that European legislation allows employers to to deploy uh, organizations in Eastern European countries, hire drivers over there and come here to uh, have a cheap uh, labor in, uh, for instance, Belgium or also in the rest of uh, Northern Europe. Are more workers coming from countries that are worse affected by the crisis to try and get jobs here? You can see that uh, the crisis makes uh, all people from uh, all parts of Europe come to richer countries to, have op- to look for opportunities. 
which is uh, which is the right within the European legislation, of course. But we can see this vulnerable some sectors like transport sector, cleaning sector. We can we have an invasion of the European labor force, and that's mainly because they don't earn enough in their own country. Gert van Hayes fears Europe's answer to the crisis is to attack the rights of workers not just in the bailout countries but right across the continent. It's always at the cost of the labour itself. What we need is a social Europe which has higher standards. We won't get the highest standards of Europe but we have to get something in the middle so that we get a more balance between the, the 27 European countries. At the moment we see it's more austerity measures, budget measures but there's not too many attention for social measures in Europe, so that's what we need. Do you think there's more people as the crisis goes on will protest and push their politicians into well, uh, giving those sorts of protections? You can see it all over Europe. Uh, you see it in Greece. People are uh, fed up. Here we are afraid, of course, in Northern Europe, we are a bit afraid of lower standards because we have a high living standard. But it's not just workers in the indebted countries of Europe that are choking on the costs of keeping the single currency together. We are uh, paying most of the contributions to the EU budget. We have now the largest share in the rescue packages, so I believe we are the paymasters. Germany, as Europe's largest economy, is the biggest single contributor to the European stability mechanism, the latest bailout fund. Berlin is liable to contribute almost a third of the half trillion euros earmarked for the fund. At the same time, the German economy is slowing. Forecasts for growth of nearly 2% in 2013 were recently cut in half by the European Commission. Unemployment, while still lower than the European average, has increased for seven consecutive quarters. Alexandro Alexander of the European Economic and Social Committee says Germany is feeling the strain of the crisis. But he says it would have more to lose from walking away from the single currency. Europe is the biggest trading bloc in the world. 80 to 85 percent of this trade takes place on an intra-European basis, which means we trade mostly with other countries in the European Union. Therefore, there is a strong interconnection. If one member state fails, the spillover effects will be so big that they might lead to a failure of all other member states. Our economic and political decision makers do understand that. Journalist Nikos Krisolaros says leading a splinter group of the stronger northern European countries out of the euro is not in Germany's interests. Germany profited more than anyone else from the creation of the Eurozone. If only, you know, northern European countries stay in the Eurozone, at the end of the day, the euro will be hugely appreciated and will hurt their exports. Germany is, however, in the vanguard of countries pushing for fundamental changes to the way the single currency is run. Simon O'Connor, the spokesman for Europe's top economic official, Ollie Rain, says changes have been made that will help avoid a repeat of the crisis. Member states that don't follow the Commission's recommendations for deficit reduction face fines up to 0.2% of GDP. And the way that the decisions are taken to impose such fines has been changed to make it more difficult for member states to block such decisions in the Council of Finance Ministers. So the pact has been made tougher. Another process that um, has been created and is operating this year for the first time is uh, something we call the macroeconomic imbalances procedure which basically seeks to 
avoid the build-up of the sort of um, very damaging Im imbalances that uh, built up in the Eurozone over the past uh, decade. It's a mechanism that seeks to uh, detect the emergence of asset price bubbles, so housing market bubbles, for example, of the sort that built up in Ireland and uh, Spain and ended with such uh, damaging consequences for the wider economy. The German Chancellor Angela Merkel this month went one step further, calling for Brussels to have the power of veto over national budgets. Simon O'Connor says more change is coming. There's a debate that's getting underway now. It will carry on and come to a key moment at the end of this year at a summit in December here in Brussels where a roadmap will be agreed on in terms of moving towards a fiscal union, an economic union. An economist at the European Economic and Social Committee, Gilbert Marshallwitz, says the way Europe is governed is being redrawn. The issues at stake are at the very heart of every country's sovereignty. It is about budgetary policy within a member state, taxation issues, political sovereignty. All those are the issues which are currently being put on the table. It is a question to which extent Europe has to reinvent itself. In the banking sector, we want more supervision, more prevention, more precautions. And we don't want taxpayers to have to pay. Banks should pay for banks. We're going to break the link between banking crises and public budgets and taxpayers' money. In June, the European Commissioner Michel Barnier proposed extra powers for Brussels to take over the running of banks that get into trouble. But this is just part of a broader plan to get the continent's banking system in order. A proposed banking union would give European authorities the power to go into the books of the continent's 6,000 banks to sniff out those at risk. The Commission's Simon O'Connor says the measures are not just about reducing government's financial exposure to banks that go bad. The first step towards that banking union has been put in place with the proposal of the European Commission for a single supervisory mechanism for banks in the Eurozone, but also open to other uh, European Union countries. The aim of that is really to, to start to break the vicious uh, circle, if you will, between banking and sovereign uh, risk which is what we've seen in a, in a number of peripheral Eurozone countries and as a result of this crisis. And it's something that's been very damaging to the economies of these countries as, as credit has been much more restricted in um, you know, companies with, uh, which on their own merits would have similar credit ratings and should have similar access to financing at reasonable rates are finding it much, much more difficult if they're based in Spain or Italy or in one of the programme countries than if they were in a country like Germany or, um, or the Netherlands. Like the proposals for stricter monitoring of national budgets, the plans for a banking union are creating tensions between Germany and rival powers like France. But unlike with the fiscal union, with plans for a banking union, it's Germany that's pulling on the handbrake. Berlin fears the spotlight going on the bad loans its smaller regional banks made to Greece. It fears this could lead to it being forced to recapitalise the German banks with large amounts of taxpayer money. It's proposing the union only cover the continent's largest lenders. An economist, Yanis Aminalidis, says those blocking tactics are not ideal, but nor are they fatal to the changes needed to shore up the continent's banking system. One could say that doesn't uh, happen quickly enough, 
there is opposition from key member states saying we do not want certain things, but it's moving in direction and it will take some time. In the end, you will find a construction which will be look different than what the Commission has originally proposed in September, but I think you're going to be moving towards the banking union. When it will be in place, we do not know. And you might say now, this is long term and you don't know whether you will arrive at the right uh, end result. Yes, that's true, but it has an effect because it has the effect that even markets and also citizens, we all are part of the markets, uh, realize, okay, they're moving in the right direction. Where in the end you will come at, whether there will be some hurdles which will be difficult to overcome, uh, how risky it will be, you can all discuss that, but at least you're moving in a certain direction. Greece's budget for 2013 passed in the last week amid acrimonious scenes with more cuts to benefits and government workers' salaries and pensions. Journalist Nikos Chrysalaros says Greece is in a hopeless situation. It can't devalue its currency by abandoning the euro and bringing back the Greek drachma, but investors are shunning the country because they fear it still might. He says Greece needs massive European investment in new industry on the scale of America's Marshall Plan after World War II. If it doesn't get that investment, the euro risks eventually falling apart. If Greece goes down, the next day Cyprus will go down. And the day after that we will have a, bank, a run on the Spanish banks and then uh, Italy's turn will come. So the whole European project that brought peace and prosperity in Europe for 70 years is in danger. Yanis Emonolidis from the Brussels think tank, the European Policy Centre, is more hopeful. To him, whether or not Greece stays in the euro is not the most important issue facing Europe right now. He says European Central Bank head Mario Draghi's pledge in July to buy unlimited debt of the most indebted countries has been vital in stabilising the crisis. By keeping the borrowing costs of those countries down for now, Mr Draghi has bought Europe more time to fix the single currency. We provide these countries which are under strain more time to adjust. But there's, also this, there's always this dilemma. You want to help them and give them more time and not make the measures too harsh. On the other hand, if you do not ask for all these things, then there's the natural reflex of politicians, at national level especially, saying, well, then I don't have to do these bad things, now, which make me, which decrease my chances of being re-elected, which creates a lot of uh, political and social problems in my country, so let me not do it. But, you know, if you look at the individual situation of these countries, there is a need to do certain structural reform. There is also a need to cut down expenditure if you have too, too much of a high deficit. Yanis Imanolidis says the biggest risk to the euro could be complacency created by the fact that interest rates on the most indebted countries are no longer skyrocketing. He says without that sense of crisis, countries may slacken off their efforts to fix their own economies, the banking system and the euro itself. I'm Nigel Sterling and that's Insight for this week. If you would like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or tweet us at rnz underscore insight. I wrote and presented that programme. It was produced by Philippa Tolley with technical production by Steve Burridge.